millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to The Mason Jar here on the Cersei Institute Podcast Network. I am David Kern, and since it's The Mason Jar, I am joined by the star of The Mason Jar, Cindy Rollins. Cindy, how's it going? It's going very well. I'm at my granddaughter, my grandparents, I'm at my <laughs> granddaughter's house, um, and I, I today I went to Grandparents Day at school, mm, so nice. Um, it was really fun. So how old are your granddaughters? Um, they are okay. Everybody just about to change. Uh, one one is six, and one is is four, okay. and will be five. Um, unless one is seven, and one is going to be six, <laughs> five. I think so, that's it. Seven and five. So we're here to answer questions from the audience, but I've got a I've got a grandparent related question for you. Uh, okay, first, this great. is just my question. Um, okay, I, I'm just curious. So, obviously, being a parent is a lot different than being a grandparent. Um, do you find that you know how the people always complain about how like grandparents spoil the kids and ruin the work of the parents and all that kind of stuff like giving them candy before bed and you know all the silly things people mention have you found have you found that um your inclination as a grandparent is to spoil your grandkids in a way that maybe was not the case with your own children oh absolutely i'm all about it because you know (laughs) you don't see them very much (laughs) yeah Uh, you know you and you you have to make it work while you're with them. And if it includes money, if it includes sugar, you gotta make it count. You gotta make your time count. Whatever it takes to be <laughs> a good grandmother. Um, uh, I'm going to do that. But um, no, I seriously, yeah, no, I have no shame. Um, they, Annabella today at her school, I got her a little paper and she said, she what she likes Cece because she makes cookies and I've kind of become the cookie grandmother. So. Um, do you feel like uh, you paid your dues and now you can just have some fun? Well, it's not so much paid my dues, but it's just such a relief not to have the burden. You know, it really dovetails on the question of, and I hear people complaining about their parents, like they interfere with the kids or they mm, tell them yeah. how to raise their kids. Yeah. I can, I am so humbled and humiliated by my own parenting that um, I wouldn't even begin 
to tell my, <laughs> my kids how to raise their kids. And I hope I'm not, that's not what comes across on this either. But um, yeah. so I just can't even imagine like, you know, giving that kind of advice to anybody in my family. <laughs> I'm just, in, I'm just here to enjoy the ride. And, so you- and I really... I'm enjoying it. (laughs) So is it one of those things where like when you give advice, I don't know, either on the show or when you're talking to your own kids or something where you feel like, you know, you feel like you made mistakes and so it's granted you some wisdom as opposed to feeling like, oh, I did everything the right way. So obviously I can give you advice. Is that sort of what you feel about it? I absolutely come from a place of, uh, everybody always laughs and thinks I'm joking, but it's just really, when you have opportunities to fail big, you have, you gain some wisdom along the way, hopefully, or else, you know, there's no, life is, we just might as well give up. Right now. <laughs> but you yeah. do, you learn from your mistakes more than anything else. And, and, mm. and you see that in, in yourself and you see in your kids and other people, my kids kind of know all my mistakes. So I'm not tempted to every once in a while, let them, I, I might in a conversation say, yeah, like even last night we were watching the Olympics and Nathaniel and um, Vanessa and I were just talking about growing up and and things you know how they were asking you know about my parents and did I get spankings and you know they and and, you know I have regrets I feel like we were really harsh with our our kids especially Mm -hmm. our I would say the top four the top four got the the brunt of that but Mm -hmm. uh, and the bottom two got probably the swan we swang swans whatever you do um <laughs> completely the other way yeah. so um they are they are not in any danger of having been treated harshly you think that's um, pretty common yeah i experience? think so i think what happens i there's just so much you know they always say the worst thing you can do in driving is overcorrect and i oh, think yeah. in parenting if you, the more children you have the more chances you have to overcorrect <laughs> yeah so, well, i guess that's true. um so if I you think want to be a good parent, you just have a whole bunch of kids and eventually you'll get it better. You'll get it right is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I mean, I hope, and I think it all comes down to, you know, the fact that um, it, it isn't really all about, I mean, parenting is a hugely important job, but it isn't the only thing that contributes to somebody's life. You know, your parents yeah. really only have so much control over you and, and the choices you make, and hopefully it's going to be a, a an influence for the good and for for following the Lord and being you know a Christian and 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 having these things. But um, in the end, um, I, I, I like that saying, and I think I said it in the book. We can't take too much blame or too much um, credit for our children. Hmm. Um, you know, you know, it, it's interesting because I was recently listening to an interview that or not an, I guess it was a little feature that um there's two basketball players they're probably the two best basketball players in the world and uh, LeBron James and Kevin Durant I don't know if you've heard of them I don't know if you're a basketball fan no, but... I've, I, I, I've just heard of them because you know guys walk through my living room periodically. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah right so okay so LeBron James and Kevin Durant both grew up in you know situations where there was no dads around and mm. They kind of, they had, you know, these strong single mothers and they're very close to their mothers. And um, Kevin Durant now is younger than LeBron James. And he, and in this, in this feature there, he's asking LeBron, you know, what, 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 what advice do you have for being a husband and being a father? Cause LeBron's got, I think three kids and he's married and mm. um, got married and had kids very young. I think 20, 21, something like that. Um, and maybe, maybe 19 even. And um and then Kevin Durant is still single, but he's, you know, he, they're friends and he's asking questions. And LeBron starts talking about how, 
when he was when he was a baby or very very young his dad left so his dad had children very young and then abandoned the family and so lebron had all these experiences of the strong mom, but having to, as a five-year-old, having to kind of be the man of the house, so to speak, you know, and he mm, talked about how yeah. difficult that was. And as he was growing up, he was motivated or driven to have children very young to show his father that, you know, it can be done, that you can stick around, you can take care of your families. And then LeBron mm. starts talking to Kevin Durant about how, um, you know, we can set our children up for success. He said, you know, he said something like, I'm paraphrasing, you know, my father left and it set me up for failure, but my mom helped me succeed, you know, and all the people around me helped me succeed. And we, and, you know, he said, I have all kinds of money now, you know, I can provide my kids with an amazing life um, and amazing things and take them places that I, and, that I never was able to go and see things that I was never able to see and give them a great education that I didn't have and things like that. But he says, you know, in the end, they're still going to have to carve out their own path. Like I can't, Mm. they can't, they're not necessarily going to become amazing basketball players or amazing business people or have, you know, who they still have to choose who they surround themselves with. And it it was just interesting to hear him talk about how I've got millions of dollars and I can give them this great life, but that doesn't mean to turn out right. So you have to kind of do the best you can and sort of pray, you know, and hold on for the ride. Well, it is true because I always just felt like, oh, if I just had money to do this, if we could have just had money to do that. And you feel like, oh, I'm not giving my children all the opportunities that, um, and then you see people that have all those opportunities and they squander them Mm -hmm. more often, many, many times. And and you realize that there's something else at work. And I'm, one thing I'm really proud of my kids, and I don't think I instilled this in them by any stretch of the imagination, but my kids are such hard workers and I, I think it was the lifestyle instilled it in them. Not, not necessarily, you know, Oh, look at my mom. She's such a hard worker. I'll be a hard worker, but more like, yeah. um, this is how I'm going to get by in a large family. I'm going to, you know, I, if I'm going to have to do chores all the time, I'm going to have to really learn how to do them well and get it done with so I can get on to what I really want to do. And, yeah, um, yeah. So, but yeah, so, and, and, and the whole, that comes down to, you read those biographies of really great men like Winston mm-hmm. Churchill and mm-hmm. Dwight D. Yeah. Eisenhower. And, and you often don't see, um, you think, oh, if only I had a dad like him and yet their children are not necessary, are not great men. Now, I think we have to go back to Chesterton and say, you know, what about the ordinary person? How, right, right. It's hard to live up to be Chesterton or Churchill being your father. Yes, yes. Well, Ch- Chesterton apparently didn't have any children. I just, I didn't realize that mm. about oh, Chesterton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, yeah. As a side, as a side note, for me to drop some <laughs> well, knowledge, I just gave. Had kids, it would have been a tough, <laughs> tough one to live. But up. it would have been hard. I know you think, wow, what a what a um, man, what. Um, what was his son like when well, he wasn't blessed with any children, but um, mm. I'm reading a biography of his wife right now, which is really kind of sad, but also fascinating. Mm. You know, they had these great gifts of intellect, both of them and poetry. And, um, and they wanted to share that and they did share it with lots and lots of lots of people, lots of children, but they were never blessed to have a family themselves. Well, but, we are here to answer some questions. So let's jump over to some of these. I think, I think this, um, this first question actually kind of dovetails with what we're talking about nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, I, f- I feel like we could talk about, you know, uh, you know, wh- how much having a comfortable life affects our kids <laughs> till we're blue in yeah. the face. So that's, you know, I, that's something that when you read history, 
you can you hear about it all the time. Um, so this person, this person writes, um, this is a mother of three, ages seven, four, and one. That's the ages of her kids. And she says that um, a friend of hers spoke to her not long ago about her, this, her friend's childhood and how devastating it was that nothing was ever good enough for her friend's mother. Um, and she says this friend is in her 50s and is still shouldering that burden. And she says she wasn't homeschooled. So then our question asker says that this conversation haunts her and that she can't seem to get her mind you know, fully wrapped around it. So she's wondering how can homeschool moms, and I'm going to include myself in this, how can parents mm -hmm. encourage our kids and help them feel secure in their abilities while at the same time stretching them? High expectations are beneficial. No, you know, that's, she says high expectations are beneficial. No, question mark. Could high expectations also be harmful? What is your take on this? Is there a key part of the puzzle that I'm missing? She asks. Boy, uh... That's a really, really, really good question. And I think it's something that we all are pondering. I don't, I don't actually have the answer to that question, but I do think that it is, it, it is um, a weakness in, the home, in homeschooling. It can, it can be. Um, I mean, I feel like there's the homeschooling family where they're just pretending to homeschool and the state comes in and they say, this is what homeschoolers do. They just do nothing all day and they just mm -hmm. were pretending to homeschool and and then yeah. there's the, you know, the over, the high achieving homeschooling families. And I've seen families that really, really strike a great balance with that. They're very, very high achieving. Maybe the, maybe the high achievement um, comes with, from within the child a little bit. If the child is high achieving on their own, because that's just the kind of kid they are, then when you push them, well, you really don't have to push those kids, but um yeah, I'm thinking about this because I did, I even recently I was having a conversation with one of my sons, a son who I feel is very well adjusted in life and doing well. And, and we were laughing about something. And then he, he said, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It reminds me of that time that you were so disappointed in my SAT scores and you, 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 you were so disappointed in them and you couldn't believe they were actually the real scores. And you were like something, what has gone wrong here? <laughs> <laughs> And, um, and so I don't know if that, my phone just rang, so I don't know if that affected this. Um, but anyway, um, he, I, I, it was like, I had this grand idea about what I, this kid to me was always an underachiever and it really, I always kept waiting for him to, to live up to his potential that I could see so clearly, but I really broke his, I, it really, really hurt his feelings mm. when, um, I was, he got a great score on the SAT, but it wasn't like, he just didn't max out on the whole thing. And now I'm expecting great glory out of him. And he just gets a, a very good, he got, he got in college with scholarships and I'm disappointed in his score for his SAT. So, um, um, I think there are things like that along the way that parents do unwittingly. We unwittingly send, we're always sending messages. Sadly, we're always sending messages to our kids so I guess the key, I guess the key that we're missing is that we really have to have our motivation right. We can't like, hmm. we can't pretend with our kids that we don't have high expectations or that we're not disappointed in them. If we really are, what we really need to do is get before the Lord and, and make sure that our motivations and our, and our ideas are, are, are what is best for the kid for the child. I find it a little bit easier with the kids I'm teaching now because they're, I'm a step back from them. I mean, I'm many steps back from them because I'm not their parent. So 
I've taken all that emotional desire for them to succeed in life. And I'm kind of putting it in like just doing the best for them as, as human beings. And I see great, I wish I could have been a little more detached from my own kids in, in yeah. some ways and not put so much pressure on them accidentally because they knew my opinion about everything. I mean, I can't, I couldn't come along and say, oh, I like that when I didn't because everybody in my family knew everything I thought, which I feel like is one of the downsides of homeschooling. Sometimes we know, it's like Facebook, TMI. We know too much about one another. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you... um do you think that there's a difference in this high expectations idea between like, let's just say ap- expectations for academics versus the kind of high expectations we have for what I'll just uh, call um, moral behavior um, that, that yeah. like, they should be thought about differently. Like you, ch- you used to challenge them differently in, in those two areas, but we sometimes. Yeah, that's a really have- good question because um you know, like if you have a culture in your family about certain things that are morally important and sometimes it gets, right. the message gets a little skewed, like that's more important than anything. <laughs> like, yeah. and that's not really what you're saying, but that right. that's right. like a practical area where you can actually give a concrete example. Don't do this. Don't take drugs, you know, and <laughs> yeah. that, you know, yeah. so we know we, we, we can, it can become like a, a, a legalism in a way, but obviously, you know, there's no anti-legalism where it's good to take drugs. It's never good. It's not going to ever pay off or be a, a, something that works well in someone's life. So, so yeah, that that is interesting question. The difference between pressuring the child academically, and I think that, you know, I'm still looking for that answer about how to challenge a child especially an underachieving child who, who is very intelligent mm-hmm. yeah. while yeah. not, while not um, making them feel like you're disappointed in them or, or breaking their spirit or, or, or pushing them so hard they hate what they're doing. I do think there's such a thing as a late bloomer. And, and I, think there, I think that late bloomers are very, I think there's a lot of them. And I think a lot yeah. of what we, a lot of underachievers are late bloomers. Like, like my son, who I was disappointed in his SAT scores, you know, he's a kid, he's a hardworking kid and he's succeeding in life and, and there's no, no holding him back. Hmm. Um, that, but he was, he, in, in some ways he was a late bloomer. He was a reader. So uh, reading, I feel like reading covers a multitude of sins and the more, you know, um, if, if not, if all else fails and you can't get your child to do well in anything, you know, if you make sure they're reading every day a lot, um, mm. that, that, that would be mm. one thing you could do. Mm. But I do think there are kids that, um, bloom maybe when they're 17, 18 or 19 mm. and, and you've laid a foundation for them. But the fact that, that if you have not motivated that child at that point, at that time, and they're growing up in this beautiful environment of books and music, and, and it's not taking, um, I think that's when you go back to the proverb, um, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. Hmm. Because I think that's what happens. I, yeah. think, I think the fruit just is, is there. It's blossoming. It's just going to blossom later. Hmm. You talk about the idea of showing... Um, disappointment in our kids. And I think every parent, like even when our children are very, very young, kind of grapple with, you know, like when a child does something wrong, how much should you, I don't know, reveal or 
actually seem disappointed as opposed to kind of being more matter of fact about discipline and things like that. Mm-hmm. And it's easy. I think like our own pride sort of motivates our disappointment probably because we feel like, Oh, it, you know, if this kid is acting this way and it's repeated, is it, is this, a failure on my part or how is my kid going to look when he goes out in public and acts this way and people are going to think I'm a bad parent and stuff like that. So is there an extent to which we should actually show our kids that we're disappointed in them as opposed to just saying, you know, this is the wrong thing. You did the wrong thing. You're going to have to have a consequence. I mean, for example, if it's, I don't know, like laziness or dishonesty or something like that, that are just, we know are wrong. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that should, we should reserve that for the most important things because I know, I know at school right now with my my student, um, I never get disappointed in him. <laughs> I just don't feel disappointed. I just I see him for who he is, and I accept that. And but when I do get upset with him, like I, this week something happened, and I just said, "You need to apologize for that. That was so rude." Um, he was devastated, but he immediately changed his behavior because I don't do, he knows that I don't, I'm not disappointed in him um, all the time. And I don't think I did a very good job with that with my own kids. I think, you know, I don't think being disappointed in your children is a good, um, I don't think that's a good modus to, to, to control them. <laughs> I, that's a, I mean, that idea in itself is sort of complicated, right? The the idea of like controlling, given our recent conversation about born persons. <laughs> yes. That's a loaded yeah, I mean, word. I think that's what it is. I mean, you think how, dis- I mean, I do think there is a point where disappointment has a place and, it, you know, we've, we've done something wrong. We've hurt somebody. Um, I, I think especially, you know, um, so I, I think there's a place for it because it's real. It's, and I think there's a place for honesty, too in our relationships where you can just say well that really disappointed me I think that would be better than being disappointed too maybe just saying I'm disappointed but I know that this isn't who you are as a person and that you're as opposed to being disappointed and and like manipulating the child with your disappointment that Mm. would be a no no never never do that yeah yeah it would be better just to say I'm disappointed than than not to say that yeah, to to be able to just have a conversation about it instead of instead of kind of using it passive aggressively. Using it as a weapon, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to go back to this question because there was something in there that I wanted to. I got to pull it up again. There was something that I wanted to um, to mention. What could high? She asked if could high expectations be harmful. Do you have a take on that specific part of the question? And I know you kind of addressed it, but I wanted to just kind of focus. Yeah, I wish I did because I really, I know that. I mean, I read a lot of of research on education, and I read, and I know how high expectations are good for children. Mm -hmm. And yet, I also know that there's a breaking point where they, where, um, you know, maybe it's just where we come at them from. If you come at high expectations in a real rigid, you know, we're just going to, we're going to do this math worksheet and this math worksheet and this and this and this and this and this and this and this, and that's what we call high expectations. But maybe there's such a thing as high expectations in like when we had Katie on, on the, and she said she was reading the fairy queen and her little three-year-old came in and he said, read it to me. And she read it. Now there's a high expectation who reads the fairy queen 
to their three-year-old. Well, she did, and her three-year-old loved it. Mm-hmm. And, and and sometimes we, we that works, and sometimes it doesn't. But um, mm-hmm. I think approaching our children with high expectations might be expecting them to understand things, um, like in the, to understand things that are harder under uh, reading in, in philosophically maybe or um, history in history coming at it like that coming at it like yes you i have high expectations for you you're a human i know you can get this so and i'm always trying to give that with math just say you know the thing that bothers me when when a child hates math is that i know they could love it and mm-hmm. i wouldn't i'm not really the person that can make them love it but i i know that they can so i don't necessarily think you know sometimes the high expectations bring about the epiphany that causes the person to love it. And sometimes they just break the person. So. Yeah. The question seems to, you know, one of the things that she says is how can we as homeschool moms encourage our kids and help them feel secure in their abilities while at the same time stretching them. And it seems like in some ways the encouraging our kids, you know, we, we, is it's almost how we can stretch them. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. To use, to use another sports, you know, I'm, I'm going to bring the sports to show this <laughs> primarily for moms. Um, I, I was reading a book from the sixties called instant replay. And it's by this guy who played for the, the played football way back in the day. He played for the Packers and his coach was Vince Lombardi, who was famously hard on his players, you know, yes, fam- that's right. famously, you know, famously challenging them. And he said in a recent interview, he just got into the hall of fame. So everyone's interviewing him. And he said that the thing that made this coach pushed him and pushed him, but one day he came up to him and he, you know, they were stretching and he put his hands on his shoulder and he said, um, he, he pushed him, you know, particularly hard the day before. And he, he said that, uh, you know, one day you're going to be the best, you know, one of these days you're going to be the best guard, offensive guard in the NFL. And that's all he said. And he kind of winked at him and walked away. And that helped the player know that, you know, the, he was, he was pushing him because he expect, he, he thought, you know, he could be good. It wasn't, it, he wasn't pushing him just for the sake of pushing him. He was pushing him because he had um, confidence, and and confidence in his capabilities. And so it was, that changed his life, he said. And so not just in football, but in everything, he had that kind of that moment there with him. And, you know, it just shows the extent to which encouragement and challenging or stretching kind of go hand in hand. Yeah. And I mean, I was right. My dad was a baseball coach and he was a winning yeah, yeah. baseball coach. And he was um, um, very well respected in, in the knowledge of the game. And yet he was also very hard on his players. And my mom would always be like, Jim, you know, oh, don't say that. That's going to hurt their feelings. Don't do that. That, that isn't very nice. And, and my dad was strangely unconcerned about that. Um, um, you know, he, he was not overly worried about anybody's feelings. Um, and there were times when he hurt people's feelings and, I, and he felt badly about it. But yeah. I remember when he, I don't know if I told this story, but he started coaching baseball. Um, after he retired, he did um, a Babe Ruth team with my brother, and they were the coach. And And he called one of the kids over and said something to him, and the kid looked up at him, and he said, Coach, you hurt my feelings. And my dad was like, oh, my goodness, I am out of here. I am, <laughs> I cannot coach people who's going to get their feelings hurt. And he had not really said anything to the kid that would have, uh, I mean, compared to what, he could have done in the past. Uh, that was nothing, but, um, yeah, I've often wondered wh- what the state of sports will be as, as, um, as we move away from the, from those really hard coaches. I mean, what it was it Woody Hayes 
you know, slapped his player. I mean, obviously we don't want to go back to those days where, you know, the coach can just slap you and, yeah, yeah. um, but, but we are, like you said about, um, we have personal peace. We have affluent, we have an affluent society and we have a soft society. And so we probably, there's a lot we're losing along the way because of that. I'm sure. Mm. I know that when I played sports, I played and I coached and I, I had a football coach who was extremely, um, he, I mean, I had a, he, he was extremely loving and, a, and pushed us very hard at the same time. Mm, and yeah. he was very good at like kind of helping us identify what we were like, what our skills were, what our talents were and where our limitations were and to kind of be able to play within those limits and in pushing us to do that we got, you know, those of us who accepted that got really close with him and became much better players. And so I'm wondering, like, there were some of us, most of us took it well and are still really close to him. Some, some kids didn't and they kind of wash out, but I'm wondering if you think that this idea of pushing kids is different for boys than it is for girls. You raised both. Um, and so do you think boys are just kind of naturally more inclined or desire that, that that sense of being pushed than girls do? Yeah, I mean, I think a boy wants to have a challenge. I think James Daniels talks about that a lot when he said they want to prove themselves. Yeah. But most girls don't want to prove themselves. They want to be liked. They want to be accepted. Mm-hmm. Um, but most boys, they, they don't care if they're liked or accepted. They want to know if they make the cut, if they make the grade. Mm-hmm. And so a boy wants to be pushed, and he wants to see that he's he's overcome something. And, 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 mm-hmm. and, and it, that's what the, where the value is for him. And, and, you know, my dad is very well loved. Um, he is mean as he could be as a coach. Um, you know, he's so loved by his players who, who's like you said, the ones who stuck with him and, and, and made the grade and kept on, um, deeply, deeply loved by those guys. Yeah. I think there's something to be said for kind of once you, you kind of, I don't know if I want to say you endure it, but when you're pushed hard and you succeed there, you know, yeah, yeah. Overcoming that obstacle, as you said, is something that is really meaningful. Um, okay, let's right. jump to one other question here for just about five minutes before we go. Um, I don't know if you can cover all this in five minutes, but the, the question is just, you know, what does a day-to-day homeschool or what should a day-to-day homeschool, in particular Charlotte Mason homeschool, look like for a large family? Um, do you have any advice on that? Even if it's just a couple of maybe a couple of tips, maybe for people who have large families. Yeah. And I think this is where morning time comes in. I mean, I, I think my homeschool would have completely broken, broken down if I hadn't had morning time. And I don't talk about morning time. Like I have some investment in it. Like if people do it or don't do it. And I, you know, I always laugh when someone says, I don't, I don't have morning time. You you don't have to like, well, no, of course you don't have to. <laughs> and, but with a large family, um, for me, it was, uh, it saved my family. It gave, it gave us a day, a routine daily as, as, you know, we woke up in the morning as the day began to get away from me as everybody, you know, I'm in control of nine people who are, you know, all, I always said everybody in our family wanted to be in charge, but there was one person who didn't, it wasn't my daughter, but one, there was, we had one teddy bear who, who didn't seem to want to be in charge until he hit a certain age. And then he was like, now, now he was in charge. Even he, <laughs> even he abandoned um, the passivity and decided to to be in charge of the world. So, so when you're in charge of a whole bunch of people who all think they are in charge of the world, you know, it's it's utter chaos. And and so, in a large family, the more routine that you can build into what 
um, the thing your family does, the better, mm-hmm. the more you're going to have in the can at the end of the year, the day, the minute, um, you know, the, the lifetime. And without that, I really don't know how, you know, people get by. I just personally, I just don't even know how, how they survive. Sure. That doesn't mean that you're not going to have massive, massive amounts of time when that's, that, that's in a state of breakdown, but yeah. without it, um, you, you'd really be messed up. So you can't just get discouraged when it doesn't look, the routine doesn't look as routine as you'd like it to look, but hmm. you still have to strive for it in a large hmm. family or else, yeah. um, or else you're not going to have anything at the end of the day. So, hmm. I mean, it's, it, it, when you have kids that are reading, you're always going to have something at the end of the day, but now, now we have a lot more distractions. So it's much easier for a child nowadays who's not, you know, who's left to themselves to just be on some device and yeah. rather than reading. Yeah. Do you think that it's, do you think um, that it would be helpful to do less subjects or maybe less books, things like that, that uh, when you have a large family, just so that there's perhaps um, more flexibility for the mom to kind of not feel like she's having to jump from, you know, one subject to another subject all the time, or with, especially when you have kids well, of different ages. Reading, I actually think more subjects, but more subjects that they can do. Like, you know, if you're going to do Latin, then you should do it together. If you're going to do grammar, okay. do it together. Okay. But if, but as far as them, you know, they should each have a reading list that covers the gamut, you know, mm-hmm. science, history, music. Um, they could be mm-hmm. reading biographies of, of all kinds of people. Um, um, yeah, so yeah. they want to, so they want to have a lot of reading lists, a lot of going on in their reading each day. So like um, whatever so, you're doing as a group, like that, like you need to do like Latin as a group and then morning time. So do you, when you talk about reading lists, I, mean, I assume you mean things like they could be reading about a scientist or about some kind of science, you know, outside of a textbook. It's not like formal science. Uh, yeah, or formal yeah, I, I use very few textbooks. I mean, when my kids got to about eighth grade, I pulled out the, the apologia. But before that, um, except for math, we really did not use a textbook. We just did. I mean, there was a few, there were a few like minor textbooks here and there that we really liked that we would read yeah. as a narrative book. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, every subject they did was done through a narrative reading, except for things like I said, a foreign language. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you're going to have to have a more of a, of a traditional curriculum. But yeah, hard, very rarely. Did I, Unless you um, speak the language fluently yourself. Yes, that's right. That's <laughs> right. And and sometimes that's the answer for mom. Just go learn the language yourself if you can't keep if you if you're having trouble teaching it. Um, hmm. Step back. You go. You go get a, cu- a couple of semesters under your belt, and then come back to it. And that'll make it a little bit easier. So okay, this is a big question. We, I'm going to give you. I don't know. Let's say 40 seconds to answer this. Oh no. Four four uh, four big families. Do you think that in the same, like the, uh, the online class is a good idea? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I didn't do that because I didn't have the money for it, mm-hmm. but, and, and that's sometimes the problem with a large family. You don't actually have the money. We, there's a lot of great ideas out there, but if you physically don't have the ability to do it, then, and um, what's good for a, a family with two children is, you know, just running around like a crazy person with five or six or seven children. So, um, but anything like that is excellent. Um, if there are some wonderful, wonderful resources out there and online classes and I, if you can afford it, then yes, absolutely. Take advantage of them. I I think those are 
great options for, for things. Um, and I think the kids really rise to the occasion on, on those kind of things. Hmm. Um, yeah. I will say this, that I like the idea of a live teacher better than some of the pre-recorded, um, um, I know some, Just a friend the videos. of mine, yeah, because I think the videos are fine if you have the ability to move ahead or move behind it, if you can tweak it. Um, but if, if it's just like you can't go ahead until you've read Herodotus and um, you're, you're, you're in seventh grade and you can't get through that unit. So you, the parents paid $800, but now they can't do anything. Um, I think you got to be careful about some of that. But I mean, some of it's really good. I know Classical Academic Press has some great stuff along those lines and they're not they're not overbearing on, on the requirements, but, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. but I think, I think there are so many great, um, op options out there in that realm that if you can afford it, definitely take advantage of it. Hmm. Okay. Well, we could talk about these things forever, but yeah, I know. <laughs> You've got to get back to your grandkids. Yes. They're, they're get getting their ballet pictures taken right now. So I said, oh, they're going to get ballet pictures taken. I'll tell David we can talk. And, <laughs> um, they'll be home any minute. So. <laughs> all right. Well, I will let you go. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for uh, sharing some of your wisdom with all of us. Uh, thanks to everyone who's uh, listening, um, for subscribing and for commenting and for sharing your feedback. We really appreciate that. If you have a question for Cindy for a future episode, you can email me at david at circeinstitute.com or Cindy, and that is Cindy at ordo-amoris.com. Is that right, Cindy? Did I get that? That's right. You got it now. <laughs> All right. I think I've got it memorized. Um, yeah. And of course, if you uh, want to participate in the ongoing conversation on Facebook, you can go uh, into Facebook groups and you can search for uh, the Mere Motherhood group where a lot of this same conversation is going on. And there's a lot of really fantastic wisdom from moms of all ages and all backgrounds and experiences. Um, and if, so if you are not a part of that, we, we uh, invite you to join us over at that conversation. Yeah, that's been amazing. I've been swamped lately and cannot keep up, but I am so pleased at the conversation over there. Yeah, it's kind of been exceeding expectations, I think. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, for Cindy and for all of us here at Cersei, I am David Kern. Thanks so much for listening to The Mason Jar, and we'll talk to you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
it. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.